2020 virtual conference at InterNACHI. Uh, my name is Ray Klein. I'm a certified master inspector. Uh, as well, I am a master electrician licensed in the state of Colorado. Our today's workshop is going to be covering the uh, GFCI additions from the 2020 National Electrical Code. Um, there's quite a few code changes and we're gonna start from the beginning. Can everybody see my PowerPoint starting screen? Yes, we can see it. And if no one, okay. if someone can see it, please just chat, um, okay. send a message in the chat. Thank you. All right. Well, let's get started. Um, first of all, we're on a three-year code cycle with the National Electrical Code. And they make changes every time they, they change the code book. Uh, this particular time, they've added quite a few things for GFCIs, pretty substantial changes. Uh, you know, you may know that uh, <clears throat> what situations the NSC requires you to install a ground fault and circuit interrupter, but do you know how it works? Uh, GFCI is specifically designed to protect people against electric shock from electrical systems, and it monitors the imbalance of current between the ungrounded hot and the grounded neutral. And that's for the conductor of any circuit. Uh, don't let the name confuse you. These devices will operate on a circuit that does not have an equipment grounding conductor, which means that we can use these to uh, help ungrounded homes become safer. Uh, the function of a GFCI circuit, it will sense the difference in the amount of electricity flowing into the circuit to that flowing out. And these sensors are working 24 seven, even in the amounts as small as four or five milliamps. And that's very small. Uh, these things will also trip instantaneously. So there is no chance for any current to pass through anyone's body uh, to create an elect electrocution type situation. Uh, the GFCIs, re they quit, react quickly. One, le uh, one less than ten one, one tenth of a second, the trip or shut off the circuit. According to the NEC, and I'm going to use the NEC quite a bit in here, which stands for the National Electrical Code, a ground fault is a, con is a conducting connection, whether intentional or accidental, between any electric conductor and any conducting material that is grounded or that may become grounded. Electricity always wants to find a path to the ground. It always wants to return to the source. Uh, in a ground fault, elect electricity has found a path to ground and it is a path the electricity was never intended to be on, such as through a person's body. Because of the potential for shock, GFCI protection is used to protect human life. What I've got up here is a, a brief history of the changes that have happened with the GFCIs up until about 1999. And like I say, they're still making changes every cycle of the new NEC. You can see back in 1971 uh, that 
within 15 feet of swimming pools was the first application. And then you just go up through the years. It really didn't start in uh, residential dwellings until about 1973 when it was required for all outdoor receptacles. And when we leave off up here in 1999, uh, there was an exemption issued for dedicated equipment at crawl spaces. In the 2020 code changes, code update all 125 volt through 250 volt receptacles installed in the locations specified in 2021, 2010.8A1 through 11 and supplied by single phase branch circuits rated, rated 150 volts or more or less to ground shall have ground fault circuit interrupter protection. In layman's terms, the NAC removed AMP values across all AMP related or rated receptacle outlets requiring GFCI protection in all the areas listed in this section. So when they talk about 250 volt circuits now, what they're meaning is we're gonna to have to look for GFCI protection on dryers, ranges, exterior ACs, um, you know, any place where you might be within six feet of a water source or potentially wet ground. One big change in the GFCI requirements came with the expansion within dwellings. So that's, that's what we're talking about today. We're not exactly covering any of the commercial side, but uh, now dwelling units constructed under the NEC in the 2020 will require GFCI protection on any receptacle rated 125 volts through 250. And this is all on a single phase branch circuit rated 150 volts to ground or less. Long story short, what it boils down to is that often a shock hazard exists whether you're using 120 volt equipment or 240 volt. They go on to tell us that there have been numerous instances of injuries caused by shocks from 240 volt equipment and even a few fatalities that GFSEC protection could have potentially prevented. So does this mean that every electric range receptacle needs to be on a GFCI? It's gonna depend on how close they are to the water source. So in a kitchen where your range is within six feet of the outside edge of the kitchen sink or even a prep sink in the kitchen, the answer is yes. Uh, you're gonna have to make sure that those are on a GFCI. Uh, the, the same rules apply to receptacles that have been used for years with 125 volt receptacles. However, if the range receptacle is within six feet, like it says, then it will require GFCI. The bigger impact will be felt in the garages, outdoors, laundry areas, and basements. These require all receptacles to be GFCI protected regardless of distance. So now we gotta look for GFCI protection on the air conditioning unit outside. Uh, potentially if there's a welder 
outlet in a garage or a compressor outlet in a garage, those are all going to have to be GFCI protected. It's no longer a judgment call whether or not the basement is unfinished. Now, any and all receptacles and dwelling unit basements are required at GFCI protection. So that means everything in the basement, regardless of the state of the finishing. The basements have become more and more of a staple of the man cave setup or the game room areas. Many have exposed concrete floors or open ceilings and home inspectors will now have a clear determination for recommending GFCI protection in these areas. No guesswork is required for GFCIs. Another expansion of GFCI protection in dwellings isn't really in dwellings, but on the outside of the dwelling. Uh, in 2108F in the code book has been added to require GFCI protection for all outdoor outlets supplied by single phase branch circuits operating at 150 volts to ground or less and 50 amps or less. Uh, this is a major change driven by some very unfortunate events. For home inspectors that will require or include and require RV, backup generators, air conditioning, 240 volt receptacles along with solar power system. So now we have to check for that as well. Uh, this means that uh, all the dwelling unit outdoor receptacles rated at 125 to 250 volts in single phase, 150 volts to ground or less will be required by 2108A number three to be GFCI protected. Any hardwired equipment connected to single phase 150 volts to ground or less and 50 amps or less will be required by 2108F section F to have GFCI protection. There's two exceptions to this for not <clears throat> readily accessible receptacles intended for snow melting and de-icing equipment and outdoor lighting outlets. Um, de-icing equipment quite often does not work well in GFCIs can create a lot of nuisance trips. Uh, that's one of the reasons they're actually gonna give us a, uh, a pass on that. Uh, testing methods, uh, there's three basic testing, me testing methods for, that exist for ground fault interrupters in today's world. Uh, the basic three prong plug-in style, like a lot of inspectors use these. I still use one. Uh, the combination GFCI-AFCI tester and the circuit analyzer. And the difference between these three is that the basic three-prong is the very basic. That's the very bottom end. Uh, the combo, you know, those can, can run about $45, $50. The circuit analyzer, quite a bit more expensive, but they give you a lot more information. Here I've got a picture of a three-prong plug-in tester. Here's a picture of a GFCI-AFCI combo tester. Uh, I got one of these, they work quite well. Um, the only thing you cannot test with these is if you have any what, what's called pirated or stolen grounds on ungrounded systems where they 
put a jumper on the neutral and jump it to the, the ground screw to try and fool you to, to think that that's actually grounded. Circuit analyzer. This, this thing is great. Um, these are about 300, 300 bucks, 350 bucks. Once you get established, if you're a newer in the industry and you're not ready to make this investment, once you do, you do get established, I would highly recommend one of these testers. Um, I've got some uh, pictures up here of some breakers and outlets. This is the GFCI breaker, very typical. This is a square D. This is a GFCI receptacle, also very common, has the test button, the reset button. I've got, uh, I don't know if you can see this on the screen, okay. but I've got a GFCI set up on an extension cord. And I'm just going to demonstrate to everybody. I'm sure you've all seen this, probably do it every day. But this is just the basic tester. Basic three prong, very basic GFCI receptacle. Here is my combination tester. Got the button on the front. Serves the same function as the basic three prong. However, this allows you to test for the arc fault circuit. Well, you can test with that that tester. You know what does this mean to us? Is that uh, we're now looking at a much more expensive solution to meet the new code. Um, we've got, uh, you know, we're looking at a basic GFCI receptacle that's, you know, 15 bucks at Home Depot. You know, it's not, it's not a very expensive fix to add those in a house. But now we have to cover the, the range, perhaps the range if it's within the distance to the sink. Um, We've got to look at the dryer, the AC. Well, now there's a, probably a minimum potentially of three or four of these 240 volt, anywhere from 30 to 50 amp circuits that are gonna to have to be protected. Um, this cost could climb quite quickly. You know, one breaker, this is a single pole GFCI breaker. These typically are, you know, run 65 to 85 bucks at Lowe's or Home Depot. If I was to go in there and purchase a 30 amp, 40 or 50 amp double pole, uh, we're now looking at approximately anywhere from 90 to 150 bucks a piece. Uh, so on the average, if we had to change three of them in the house, if we had to recommend that, you know, they're looking at probably $350, $400 for the breakers and then an additional cost for labor to install them. So this, you know, this, uh, this new requirement by the NAC is, can get quite expensive. Uh, 
I know on the new builds that I've been inspecting, they've already started doing this. So you open up one of these panels on a new build and you know, you're probably looking, if you add in all of the arc fault breakers, the GFCIs, the, now the 240 volt GFCIs, you know, you're looking at perhaps a thousand to $1,500 worth of breakers in that panel. Um, so it's very costly. Uh, however, it's, you know, safety is, is really important. And as home inspectors, that's really, you know, that's our responsibility to make sure these homes are as safe as possible for our clients. Uh, so there's no worry when they move in, um, everything's working correctly and everything is safe. Um, you know, I, and as home inspectors, we're not inspecting for code per se, but we can make those recommendations and additions and upgrades for the safety of the occupants. Uh, so I would not be fearful of making these recommendations. You're working for the interests of your client and their family. So the cost, you know, maybe they can negotiate in their sales contract. They could share the costs or, you know, the seller quite often may be willing to make these changes. So, uh, you know, don't, don't be afraid to make these recommendations. It's pretty important. Um, I'd like to go back here and, and uh, cover a couple more things about this, these new codes. Ray, before you go ahead and do that, um, there's a couple questions that are repeating and they are relevant to what you were just talking about. Um, some people are just asking, how do you test for 240? Can you show us how to test for 240 volt? Sure, absolutely. Uh, on a 240 volt circuit, it's got a GFCI on it, it's gonna be a breaker. Uh, as of right now, I don't foresee the code changing to apply GFCI for the entire house. Like I've had people ask me, do you think they're gonna just make the, turn the main breaker into a GFCI breaker? And the answer is no. Uh, there's a lot of issues that go along with that. Uh, you can have nuisance tripping, you can have any number of things that can happen that, that could potentially trip that main and uh, you, somebody could be at work, they could lose all their food in the refrigerator. So I only see individual protection on these circuits from now through the future. Um, but on a typical GFCI breaker, if you're gonna be doing it on a 240 volt circuit, it's gonna be a two pole. So it's gonna be double, double the width of this. And you're gonna to have to use the test button on the breaker. That's how you're gonna to have to test these circuits. Uh, you know, an access is usually a, an issue too. You, you know, I never recommend anybody pull, pull the, the range out from its opening because you risk damaging the floor in the kitchen. Uh, a lot of times the dryer's in a position where you couldn't move it. Uh, so you're gonna to have to test these at the panel. Um, that's the only option you're gonna have. So, you know, the other things that I wanted to just discuss in the, about the code is I'll, I'll just recommend to you guys, to you, you inspectors to, uh, to go back and review these additions in the 2020. Hopefully you've got a, a new version of the 2020. Um, 
and just get make sure you're clear on what they're asking for because they've made a lot of additions to the commercial side as well. So if you're doing commercial inspections, I highly recommend you review all those additions. Um, if you're inspecting in areas where you have boat docks, it's I highly recommend you review all those changes. Uh, they've made quite a few changes in that area as well. So let's move on here. Actually, we're making pretty good time. So I think I'm going to go ahead and open this up for discussion and questions. Um, Perfect. We have a lot of questions, so this is great. Uh, one of them says, so when does this go into effect for new construction and are exi existing homes just recommendations? Uh, for new homes, this is going to be applied as soon as the municipalities, which means the cities, uh, counties, states, they all have to adopt these codes. Because um, remember, they are the jurisdiction ha having the say, the final say in everything. Uh, the local inspector, uh, the local state, county, they can all change or accept any of these codes they wish. The National Electoral Code is just a basic uh, recommendation. So in terms of when these are gonna become come into effect, it's going to depend on when your local jurisdiction uh, adopts these and what portions they are going to adopt. Um, I know that, uh, you know, local inspectors can enact anything they wish. And that can get frustrating for home inspectors because you never know uh, unless you keep up on the local uh, code changes as to what that the local inspector might look for. But uh, I don't really see the new builds yet taking on all of these, but uh, I have seen some with the 240 volt uh, GFCIs on the dryer, uh, some with the range uh, and the AC as well. And what was the next, what was the other question? Yeah, uh, I think that one re uh, responded to a lot of the ones that I have over here. Another one is, can you explain the difference between single phase and double phase? Well, single phase is the, the common electrical feeds that we have on a residential application. Um, whenever you open up the dead front on a circuit breaker panel, you've got two hots coming in the top. And if you measure between those, you're gonna get 240 volts. Um, if you measure one individual side, one leg to ground or to neutral, you're gonna get 120 on each one. Uh, that is single phase. Uh, there is really no double phase in existence. Um, I know it's a little confusing because you've got two hots coming in there but they've always called it and, and referred to it as single phase. Three phase is when you have three 
hot wires coming in the top of the panel. Uh, each one of those, again, between ground or neutral, is going to measure, depending on what application you're in. If you're on a commercial application, uh, maybe in a in an area where you've got some 480, 277, um, you could potentially measure with between one, one of those hot legs and ground, you could get 277. But typically, that kind of application only shows up in commercial or industrial work. Does that answer the question? I sure hope so. Uh, we have a couple others. Oh, uh, the person that asked said yes. Um, the next one would be, do you test for home runs during a three-hour general home inspection? Yeah, you mean test to make sure that each home run it feeds, feeds the, the circuit correctly or the area that it's labeled? Was that the uh, what he's asking? Um, I'm not sure. John Glass, if you can uh, rephrase your question, um, then we'll get back to that one. Um, let me just skip to another one. Um, da -da -da. One second. Um, oh, I think he just. Uh, mm, sorry, R Ray, I'm just going through all of them. Um, just, uh, are you saying a GFCI outlet will function as a GF GFCI outlet on two wire wiring? You can use that as a solution on a house that's not grounded. Um, it's not a, a perfect application, but it does make the house safer. Um, and those receptacles that are applied to that have to be rated for a two-wire system. Um, so they have to have that labeling. And uh, what it does is it, uh, it uses the same testing or, or monitoring solution as a normal GFCI, but it is applied to just a the neutral and the hot, because you don't have a ground there. But um, if if the electrician who, because you could, and let's just say you go out and you, you inspect a, a house that was built in 1940, and it's, uh, it's all two wire, there's no ground in the house. Um, technically speaking, as home inspectors, you know, again, we, we're not actually quoting code, uh, but it's good that we know some code. So if I walk into a house that was built in 1940, and let's just say that the system is pristine, which means that there's been no changes made to the system, uh, there's been no additions or, uh, you know, anything that uh, changed it from the day it was done, that was put in. Um, you know, I basically got to accept that for what it is because you know I have to accept it for those codes that were in, in force at the time the house was built. However, um, I'm going to recommend in my report that the home be updated and the entire system to a grounded system. So don't be afraid to do that. But what I'm saying is 
a two-wire system, if uh, if they don't have the money to update the system and they just want to live in it while it's still an ungrounded system, you, you highly recommend they add those GFCIs to make the system a little safer. Okay, I guess last one and then uh, I'll let you move on, Ray. Um, is there one spot where you can find the adopted codes for our own jurisdiction? You have to go to the website for your city or your county and they should post those. Um, if not, you can go down to the local building department and get a printout of the codes that they have adopted. And in terms of, and it, they may have everything there for you. Um, they could have the framing, the plumbing, the electrical, the HVAC, uh, any of those items that need to be inspected, uh, they may have a printout of their version of the adopted code. You know, what I say, what I mean by that, their version, it's because they may have pulled some things out that they're not enforcing because they are the local code enforcer having jurisdiction. They can change or manipulate that code any way they please. Okay, thank you, Ray. Um, we can continue and then we'll go back to questions when you stop again. Okay, well, I actually, I'm, uh, I've covered all my material, but I think I'd like to go back to the code changes here on this page. Um, I'd like you all to read this through pretty good. This page and the next one the GFC language expansion. Yeah, take a look at this one really hard. Uh, they actually give you, in, on this page, they give you uh, an example of a 10-year-old girl behind an energized appliance uh, retrieving a pet behind a clothes dryer and a 10-year-old Houston boy playing hide and seek. Uh, they helped the panel members realize the need for change. These were actually both electrocutions. Um, you know, and it's to give you an example too, uh, some of you may not remember, but there was a, an incident that happened uh, about three years ago. And I believe it was in Texas. And it was a young, young lady. I think she was probably about 13 years old. And um, she was taking a bath. And she was checking her text messages on her cell phone in the bathtub. Well, the unfortunate thing was she had her charger plugged in and she dropped it in the, in the water. No GFCI protection on the outlet. And unfortunately, it electrocuted her and she died. Uh, so this gives you an example. You know, that charger actually it breaks down the voltage. I mean, it's you know, usually they're like 120 volts and they break it down to like 12 for the phone. Uh, it gives you an idea that such a low, low current can actually electrocute someone. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. 
So it can become very dangerous. Um, air dryers dropped in the sink uh, in the past of electrocuted people. Um, you know, and, and that brings me back to, to uh, nuisance trips too. I'd like to talk a little bit about that. Um, you may have, or someone that you know may have a, a GFCI receptacle that, that trips uh, often without much of a reason. Usually they don't trip for no reason at all. Either they're starting to malfunction and they're not working correctly, or you could perhaps have a, uh, an old drill, hand drill or an old vacuum cleaner that's got some current leakage in the windings of the motor. Um, and that GFCI can sense that and it will trip. Uh, you know, a lot of that happens uh, but sometimes it's just the, the GFCI itself just needs to be replaced. And which bring me, brings me to this uh, scenario as well. You know, whenever you're out testing with any of your testers, and I'm sure a lot of you already know this, but if you run into a GFCI receptacle and you test it and it won't reset, uh, it's like, what do you do? Well, it, that's faulty. It, it, it's not your fault that it happened when you tested it, but it is, it's a faulty GFCI, should be noted in the report and uh, recommended for replacement. Uh, it's happened to me on a number of occasions. And, uh, you know, I, I did it one time in a garage and they had a freezer in the garage and I couldn't get it to reset. So, you know, a good reason to carry around an extension cord in your, in your vehicle, because I, I had to plug in that freezer uh, and call the seller later on to let him know that uh, he's got a faulty GFCI and I plugged in an extension cord to keep his freezer powered up so it wouldn't thaw out. Um, so that, that's a scenario that can happen as well. I don't particularly care for plugging refrigerators or freezers into GFCIs. I it just, it, I feel uneasy about it. It's uh, you know, you could lose a lot of a lot of frozen food. Um, you know, it's happened before. You know, I've heard of people having a lightning storm come through and it trips the GFCI in the garage and they have their freezer plugged in and then they come home from work and they got this mess on the floor. Um, so anyway, just uh, keep those things in mind. Um, I'd like to hear any questions that you guys might have about your experiences with testing or, you know, if you had any question marks, um, uh, locating a GFCI when you trip a receptacle you can't find or where to reset it. That's also happened and it still happens quite a bit to people. Um, I, one time I spent probably 25 minutes looking for a receptacle that uh, I tripped from an outdoor receptacle and I couldn't find the GFCI that was feeding it. So I finally found it in the basement of all places. Um, Ray, we have multiple questions, um, but the, uh, the first one says, uh, if you can show this slide before this one. Sure, that one. Um, I suppose that's correct. Um, then let me go over some questions. 
How do we detect a ground bar not visible? Can you talk about ground versus neutral versus bonding? Uh, sure. Um, quite often this, this is confusing for some, some inspectors. And I try to clarify this in my electrical courses within Anachi. But uh, electrical bonding, it's going to depend on uh, where your, your main breaker is located on your service. So I'll just run you through a, a basic scenario where I've got a circuit breaker panel in the garage. Behind it on the outside is the meter. The panel's got the main breaker at the top. Uh, in this scenario, the ground bar and the neutral bar should be bonded together. And there's a number of applications of how they can be bonded together. Some panel makers make a, a bar, a metal bar that bonds the two together. The only time that you would want to isolate the ground bar from the neutral bar is if you have a subfed panel. So if I have that particular panel in the garage, and then I've got a sub-panel in the basement or in the laundry room or somewhere else in the home, that panel becomes a sub-fed panel. The ground bar and the neutral bar in there need to be isolated, which means you do not bond those together. And the reason for that is, is that you're, the, feeding, the feeder wire that goes from the main panel to that sub-panel has the, a ground wire in it. It gets bonded to the ground bar in the sub-panel. The code does not want that, because what happens is you, we have a return path of current coming back on the neutral. Electricity always wants to return to its, its original source. And it, the return wire is the neutral, the white wire. So, if we put that, if we bond those two together in that subpanel in the basement, we've created a longer path for that return. The NEC wants the shortest path possible for the return of those unused currents on the neutral. So by doing that, if we bond it at the subpanel, now we have a much longer path for perhaps uh, unbalanced loads, uh, leakage current. Uh, we could also have a short circuit. Uh, we do not want that longer path. They want it to go to the main panel, onto the ground bar, and from the ground bar to the ground rod, or to the water line, or to the UFA ground. Um, that's kind of a long, long story. You know, I'd like to have you, you folks, in my electrical coursework, to because uh, we have some panels in in the uh, Internachi. House of Horrors that we actually use for training, and it really helps clarify a lot of this. But uh, hopefully, I helped clarify that for you today. Thank you, Ray. Next question says: This washer has its own power source. How do they have their own GFCI? Um, <clears throat> they could put one under the sink and run a cord from under the sink to the dishwasher. Or, and the code has always told us that GFCIs have to be accessible. So for resets, for trips or resets or testing. So 
they can't put a GFCI receptacle behind the dishwasher because it's actually fixed to the cabinetry. So it needs to be in a location where it's accessible, but it could be located under the sink. Okay. Yeah, uh, this one says, you mentioned AC units need to be protected. Are you referring to window AC units? No. <clears throat> uh, window AC units usually plug into a receptacle on the inside and that has a ground uh, with it and that should be under, let, let me rephrase this. Um, if it's if the window unit is high enough from the ground outside, it shouldn't need GFCI. And I, I think that the cutoff is six feet, six feet six or six feet from the ground. It's just like uh, whenever you see uh, in the soffits in the corner of the soffits of a home, they may have some Christmas light receptacles on each corner of the house. Those do not have to be GFCI protected because they're they're high enough off the ground, uh, potentially where you might have some wet ground um, that they don't need the GFCI protection. So that would also apply to a receptacle for a window air conditioner. Any other questions? Yes, uh, someone here says, I missed the beginning. What is the difference between a GFC and a GFCI? Uh, say that again. So this person missed the beginning of uh, the presentation and is saying, hold on, I just missed the question. Uh, what is the difference between GFC and GFCI? Well, GFC, if you, if you cut it off there, just means ground fault circuit. Um, with the I on there, it just stands for ground fault circuit interrupter. Um, you know, we used, to, we used to always call them just GF, GFIs, you know, ground fault interrupters. Uh, but now, you know, they've changed their nomenclature to where they want it to be listed as GFCI. Uh, that's technically the acceptable uh, identification by the NEC. Okay, now tell me if you already replied to this, um, but we were asking like about the, uh, the, the, this will be for construction after 2020, not required on previous building 2019. And when is it like just recommended? Uh, when does it take into effect? Uh, just if you can elaborate more on, on that, on the new construction and how to approach like older constructions. Uh, when, when this code's gonna be applied, usually we're, we're like three years behind um, in the code cycle. Even though those books are out, uh, some places may be adopting it already, but technically we're still on the 2017 uh, in today's world. Um, so the adoption of the 2020 has begun earlier in this year. And uh, it, it will take quite a bit of time for all of the, uh, you know, the jurisdictions 
uh, cities, counties, states to go through and adopt and pick out what they want to enforce and what they don't want to enforce. So really, I, I just, uh, I can't give you a clear answer as to when the full adoption of the code will be enacted uh, because I'm not familiar with all the jurisdictions out there. But uh, like I say, it's very important that you check with your local jurisdiction to see what indeed they have adopted in the new 2020 code. Thank you, Ray. Another one says, do you have an exact, oh, sorry, someone else did and it disappeared. Um, do you have an exact height for too high above the ground for the receptacles you described? It's, it might be too high up from the ground? Uh, yeah, do you have an exact, exact measurement, I guess, um, for too high above the ground for the receptacles? Um, most receptacles on the outside, other than receptacles that might be used for like Christmas lights, uh, usually the code requires everything to be at a normal reachable height. Uh, so say for instance, you've got a, a circuit breaker panel outside, uh, they really want that to be within reach. So, you know, I think the top can't be any higher than six feet. Um, but you know, for like the receptacles for Christmas lights, quite often you're going to see those way off the ground. They're going to be up in the in the soffit on the outside of the house. Uh, you can't reach those from the ground, and that's why they don't have to be GFCI protected. But anything that's when within reach from standing on the ground is going to have to be GFCI protected. Thank you, Ray. Michelle over here says, sometimes when testing GFCI, I it will not reset until an upstream GFCI resets. Can you discuss this dynamic? They're wired in parallel, and that should not be. Uh, let me explain that. Uh, wiring GFCIs in parallel means that you've got the first GFCI is connected to another one upstream. And they can do that as long as they have tied the wire on the upstream receptacle on the line side on the receptacle, not the load. So in, in essence, if they do it the wrong way and they take it off the load side of that receptacle upstream and they feed another GFCI, it will never function properly. Um, they should always be wired either the, you, the first one in the circuit, you bring the line side into the line side of the receptacle, the load side goes to all the receptacles downstream. All those ones downstream can just be a normal receptacle. They don't have to be GFCIs. Um, they should be wired independently. And that just means that I don't want to protect one with another one upstream because it, it will never function properly. Thank you. Um, another one says, is the two prong wire cord GFCI protected or do you need to have three prong wire cord for it to work? Three, three prong. Yeah, we try to bring that ground in every time we can 
the only time that uh, you know we could uh, possibly have a functioning GFCI on a two-wire circuit is if, if, if that receptacle is rated for a two-wire circuit. Okay, another one here says, does the $350 tester detect boot-like grounds? If not, how do you know without pulling the receptacle? You don't, because if they jumper between the neutral and the ground screw, it will fool you. You will think that it's a grounded system. Um, anytime I do an older home, well, prior to when I finally bought a circuit analyzer, um, I always pulled a couple of receptacles to make sure that they didn't do this. Uh, there's several names for this. We used to call them pirated grounds. Uh, it's very dangerous and uh, it gives you it gives you a false sense that you have a grounded system, which you don't. So in order to do that, you have to either do it manually, check manually, or you have to get the circuit analyzer. Okay. Uh, is there a certain number of receptacles that be on a given reset receptacle? Mm, that was confusing. Typically, on a, if I had a GFCI circuit, um, you know, if I was going to be feeding some bathrooms, I probably would have one GFCI feeding two, maybe three bathrooms downstream. Um, if you're going to be feeding like a garage, you could probably put four to six uh, other receptacles on there. I, I don't think I'd go over six on a GFCI. Okay, questions keep coming in. Uh, how can you tell the difference between a receptacle rated for two wire installation ungrounded versus three? It should be, it should be stamped on the, or marked on the, on the box, you know, when they purchase it at uh, Home Depot or Lowe's or wherever the case is. It, it's gotta be marked on there that it's designed for that purpose. Um, what was the brand of the circuit tester you like? The circuit analyzer? Is that what he said? It said circuit tester. But it, my circuit analyzer is an ideal. Um, my combo tester is a Klein. These are about 45, 50 bucks. Um, I will tell you to never skimp on the plug-in testers. Uh, do not buy the cheap ones. Uh, get name brand. This is an X-Tech. These are pretty good. Uh, stick with uh, the flukes of the world. Fluke, Amprobe, X-Tech, Ideal. I like brand name equipment. It always lasts longer and it's, and it's dependable. More questions? Um, yes. Uh, question for Raid. How much work is it to change a regular plug in the kitchen or bathroom to a GFCI? How long does it take and what, what, what's 
oh, okay. What is the approximate cost to do so? Uh, if I was going to recommend a, a GFCI protection for the kitchen, uh, probably it's going to take two receptacles at the minimum because the code requires two 20 amp circuits, and those would be just general countertop circuits in the kitchen. And you might get into a custom home that's much, much bigger in the kitchen area. It may have four or five circuits. Um, but the electrician will want to find the, the first receptacle in that circuit so he can use one GFCI receptacle to protect the others that are on that circuit downstream. That's, that's more cost effective that way. You know, he's putting in a $15 outlet to protect uh, maybe two or three others in the kitchen. Um, so it's gonna be $15 for the, for the receptacle and the labor. It may take him a little while to, to, uh, to locate that circuit, the, head, the receptacle that's at the head of that circuit. You know, I would say an hour uh, would, would, would be all it would take for a you know, qualified electrician to, to do that. And skilled labor is quite expensive nowadays. So, you know, it could be, you know, that could be 150 bucks, you know, or more to do that. Okay. Plus, you got to remember, too, that it, there could be more than one circuit. So, I would say $150 for every circuit, so you may have two or three. Thank you, Ray. Um, this one says, does, does an electric water heater need GFCI protection? And along with that one, uh, there's another one that says, does the garage door opener need to be on a GFCI? And if so, does it need to be a breaker? Repeat that one, the last question. Yes. Does the garage door opener need to be on a GFCI? And if so, does it need to be a breaker? Um, it does need to be on a GFCI. And it either has to be a bre breaker or it could be an, it could be wired in with the GFCI receptacles in the garage too. Now, now I don't particularly like that method. I would rather see the garage door opener be on its own circuit. Um, and here's, here's the, the danger of that is that uh, um, if it's on with the rest of the garage and someone's using a drill or something that trips the circuit and they don't know it, and you come home some after, afternoon after work and your garage door won't open because the circuit's tripped. So it's much better for that to be on a, on a dedicated circuit. Um, so yeah, it, it could be a, a breaker. Breaker is the more expensive option. You know, talking sixty-five bucks, but uh, um, I think it's it's a it's a better better way to do it. And the other question was, um, does an electric water heater need need GFCI protection? That's a good question, and I would say yes. Um, you got water right there. I mean, that, that is a water source. So, you know, again, 30 amp double pole GFCI receptacle. It's going to be a bit pricey, but um, that's the safe way to go. 
Okay, couple more here. How do you verify GFCI protection presence for an enclosed jetted top without an access panel? <laughs> Believe it or not, that's happened to me before. Uh, actually, I found a number of, of jetted tubs that didn't have access to the pump. They just covered over it, just covered with tile. But uh, um, if you can't find an access, then you need to put that in your report. Um, and I probably would mark that one pretty high on my list of, of uh, fun functions that are issues. You know, because that has to be accessible. That pump's got to be accessible for maintenance. That GFCI has to be accessible for maintenance as well, or just for, for safety. Um, sometimes you can find they put in what's called a dead front GFCI, and it, what it is is it, uh, it it fits in an electrical box just like this. It has the test buttons at the top and the bottom, but it's not a receptacle. It's just trip and reset. Sometimes they'll locate those in the master closet. I've seen them in there, uh, down close to the floor, or sometimes they, they put them up like a switch height. And if there's clothes hanging in there, sometimes you can't see them. I've also found them under the the kitchen or the bathroom sink under the vanity. I found them in there too. Uh, I've, you know, odd places, but uh, the dead front is, uh, is specifically designed to reset a GFCI outlet or an outlet that's on a GFCI, but do it remotely. So they could set that somewhere else that you can't normally see it. But uh, nine times out of 10, I always find them right next to the pump. Thank you, Ray. Going back to the garage door uh, question, there's another follow-up that says, what happens if the garage door opener is not linked to the GFCI? Uh, you mean if it's just on a standard circuit? Um, Muhammad, if you can, oh, he said yes. Well, uh, it, like in today's world with this new 2020 code, I'm probably going to put that in my recommendation because the code was very specific. It said that everything in the garage must now be ground fault protected. So I am going to put that in my recommendations. If it's just on a regular circuit, that that also be protected under the new uh, code recommendations. Uh, thanks, Ray. Um, here, all right. AFCI similar to GFCIs uh, in that each receptacle is individually wired to trip or this or do those just trip all together based on them being on the same breaker switch? They all trip together um, based on the, the breaker that they're on. Uh, now the arc faults are designed differently. Um, Arc faults were brought into place in, in around 2006. And the function of the, of the arc fault is, let's just say for instance, you, your client moves in to the house that you, that you inspected 
and they're hanging pictures. And they drive a nail into the wall and they nick a wire in, internally in the wall. And it creates a short circuit path, which normally would create a spark. Uh, the arc fault will trip so quickly that no spark will be uh, created. So they're designed specifically to, to uh, keep away from starting any internal wall fires from accidental uh, nail being driven into the wire or a screw or something of that nature. Um, they can be very sensitive. You know, I, I will share this with you um, when it comes to testing arc faults, when I do an inspection, um, I'm reluctant, <coughs> pardon me, I'm reluctant to test them all. Uh, because right now, especially with COVID, there's so many people working from home. Uh, they've got a lot of data stored, computers on, uh, all sorts of equipment plugged in. And now we're also seeing smart home automation systems. If I start just testing arc faults in the panel, just tripping them, uh, I'm going to create an issue where I may cause somebody to lose some data on the computer or in their storage, or maybe the, the program that's in, in their home automation system, they may lose that and they have to reprogram it or download it from another source. Um, it becomes a little bit dicey. I, and I know other inspectors aren't doing them either. And uh, I think you need to take a hard look at that uh, and just think about that because uh, you know, probably 80% of the houses I inspect, there's somebody there working from home on a computer. So now I can't, I can't be tripping all the breakers. Any other questions about arc faults? Yeah, yeah, there's still a lot of questions. Uh, Ty, I'm being asked to ask your question however I can find it. So if you can just type it again, I would appreciate that. Um, there is one here that said, ask Ray if he knows, if he knows about the new main panels. What does he mean by that term, the new main panels? Um, Joseph, could you please clarify your question? Uh, I'm going to move on to another one. Um, I think he did one second. They have AFC, AFCI and GFCI in them, in them built in. They're probably talking about combo breakers that are both AFCI and GFCI. Um, that makes it difficult to test based on what I just told you about the arc faults. So I think that uh, um, as home inspectors, I think the best thing for you to do is test the locations with your tester that absolutely need the GFCI. So go ahead and trip the bathrooms or the kitchen uh, any other location in the house, bedrooms, living room, offices, do not trip those if you're trying to test arc fault. Um, 
again, it goes back to that potentially creating an issue for the homeowner, losing computer data, whatever the case might be. It's just, uh, it's just too much of a liability. But absolutely test the locations that you know have to have GFCI. Uh, so you're actually isolating that. Then you can go to the panel and reset all those breakers. Um, typically, on a combo breaker, uh, you're not going to have bedrooms wired in those bathrooms. Um, but um, it makes it a little more difficult for a home inspector to determine some of this. But uh, I just caution you just to be very careful when you do this. Um, thank you. Another one says, does well pump need to be GFCI? Yes. Yes, it does. And the well pumps, the well heads, you have to make sure absolutely they got a good grounding. Um, grounding at the, the well head is extremely important for lightning strikes. Thank you, Ray. While I look into other ones, um, there was one a while ago that said, what would be your best piece of advice for um, a beginner inspector? In terms of uh, inspecting the homes or uh, electrical or... I would say electrical since that's the topic today. Uh, electrical, I, if you're not, if you're unsure of yourself, because you don't have a lot of experience with the electrical portion, I would just be, I would just move very slowly, um, be very methodical, um, be extremely careful, don't take any safety chances. Uh, whether you want to pull the dead front off of the panel or not, uh, most people do pull them off because it allows you to, to visualize everything inside. Um, you have to watch out for aluminum wiring. And that when I say that, let me clarify that term, uh, that's aluminum wiring that was used for branch circuits. Uh, in today's world, we're still using service wire uh, up to, you can use up to, I think it's the size, the smallest size aluminum wire you can use in today's world is number six. So any, anything smaller than number six is not allowed. Um, but there was a time period in our history uh, between like 1973 and 1979 where some aluminum wiring was used uh, for branch circuits. Uh, a lot of it was put into manufactured homes, uh, modular homes, um, and it's very dangerous. So look out for that. Um, just take your time. And also remember that as home inspectors, we're not required to move any bookcases, end tables, beds. So when, you, when you're going through testing receptacles, you're only required to test the ones you can get to easily that are accessible. So don't worry about those ones behind, behind those uh, furniture pieces. Uh, however, you should have the, that included in your agreements that, uh, you know, that you can only test what you can get to. And that goes for windows, uh, windows, doors, electrical outlets, and so forth. 
Thank you, Ray. Um, there's one here that says the new main panels are AFCI breakers everywhere and override the, the GFCI. Why is that? Uh, I think what he means is that uh, some of the new panels have arc fault mains in them. Um, it, 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 it actually is compatible with the GFCIs in the panel. But, uh, you know, in terms of overriding, they're both sensing something different. Uh, the GFCIs are constantly monitoring for ground faults, whereas the arc fault is monitoring for short circuits. Um, so they, they function differently. However, in the combos, it's possible that you could have a condition that uh, on the arc fault side that would trip the breaker, which would also shut off the, the ground faults that are tied to that breaker. So I hope that answers this question. I'm not sure if it does or not, but that's, you know, there's really, they don't really override each other uh, because they each function differently. Okay, thank you. Just bear with me. Um, Ray, if you want to go through the chat as well and uh, pick some questions uh, while I read some of them as well, that would be great. <laughs> okay. Um, There's I... one here, a long one from Luke that says, um, it's an example uh, when he had a house that had a pump house, if you, if you can see it. Uh, I'm going to have to shut off my PowerPoint here. Oh, um, okay. I'll back out of here. Uh, if you hit the chat button, button at the bottom, there is some there. Is the one, two, three, four, five, six, the seventh bottom to top. Okay, I need to get back to the Zoom page. In the meantime, I'm going to ask you a question. How important it is to keep the same company's breaker in a different panel? Example, Cutler hammer breaker in GE electric panel. They won't fit. Uh, they're not compatible. They're, uh, all of the breakers are, are proprietary. Um, so none of them will fit in anybody else's panels, at least in today's world. There was a time period uh, years ago where uh, ITE, GE, Bryant, uh, Westinghouse would all interchange. Uh, you may see some older panels occasionally that have the different ones in it, but uh, they, they all changed from that. They all moved to a more proprietary system to where, you know, I can't put a color hammer into a square D panel. Okay, did you find that other question? Okay, I'm still trying to find my screen here. Okay. 
Okay, like stop sharing your, your screen for now. Um, well, I'm gonna read another one in the meantime. Please explain the concern of grounds and neutrals being bonded past the main. I want to make sure I am explaining the concern correctly. Okay, past the main breaker, uh, grounds and neutrals need to be isolated. So they should not be bonded at any point together after the, the main break, the, the uh, main distribution panel. Um, all sub panels, the, the ground bar has to be absolutely isolated from the ground or the uh, neutral in, in all applications. Okay, thank you. Um, how will these effect, affect GFCI protection provided for outlets that supply boat hoists installed and in dwelling unit locations? Um, I guess I'll try to answer that. Uh, so if you have a boat hoist in a boathouse, uh, anything that's, that's that close to the water is going to have to be on a GFCI. Uh, I'm going to probably recommend you go review all of the 2020 code changes on boat docks uh, because there was quite a few changes to that. Um, and they were pretty substantial, all the additions they've made and the changes they've made on that, that application. 